Welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momina Sili, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Hi everyone. On today's show, we're going to talk about preconception care and the importance of preparing our bodies before we conceive our babies. Our guest today is Ari Callahan. Ari is a perinatal and pediatric naturopathic doctor and a certified functional medicine practitioner who's passionate about helping her clients achieve an optimal state of health. With a background in clinical research, she blends the wisdom of ancient medicine with the cutting edge knowledge gained from modern science. She feels strongly that each of her patients is a unique complex being who requires an individualized comprehensive approach in order to facilitate healing. Through her own battle with autoimmunity, infertility, and other chronic illness, she has come to understand the importance of solid health foundations from as early as a preconception time period. As a parent, she's realized how difficult it can be to raise a child in an environment filled with toxins, electronics, and commercialized junk food. And with this, let's get into the show for today. Hi, Ari. I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on as a guest and really to talk about a topic that I feel so passionately about. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Um, one of the things that I'd like to start off is by asking our guests what got them to do the work that they do. So, yeah, great question. Yeah, so this is kind of a very long story that I'll shorten for this time period, but I think as many providers um, find themselves in, I had my own health issues. So I was in university and I was planning on going into allopathic medical school and I came upon a number of health concerns of my own. And unfortunately, I just was not getting proper care via the Western model. So wasn't that they weren't trying or weren't committed to helping me improve, but no one was really there to connect the dots. And I was just being managed. I was being managed on medication rather than really, um, you know, having someone who was being my advocate, having someone who was trying to put those pieces together and get to the root of what was going on. And so I kind of ventured into that on my own and soon realized that that is the kind of doctor that I want to be. I want to be that individual who puts the pieces together that gets to the root cause. And so I decided I did not want to go to medical school, but at that time I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was living on the East coast of the United States and functional medicine was really kind of at its birth. I had never heard of naturopathic medicine. And so I went to my advisor at that time I was majoring in nutrition and I was majoring in physical therapy um, or sorry, exercise science but I didn't really want to just be a physical therapist and I didn't want to just be a nutritionist. I knew there was something more, something that really combined both of those elements. And that's when I heard about naturopathic medicine. So I had started to look into it. I spent like three hours look, looking into naturopathic medicine and I decided this is exactly what I want. This is made for me. I want to do it. And I really had like a very primitive understanding of what it was, but I knew I wanted to do that. And so I went to school and I was kind of very actually pleasantly surprised that, okay, this is actually still medical school. It's just kind of, it's a, through a different lens. It's through a different viewpoint. And, um, 
you know, really just started diving in from there. Now in school, I didn't exactly know where I wanted to specialize in, except for I knew I wanted to do complex cases. That's what got me into the medicine. I liked solving these puzzles. It was very exciting for me to kind of dig into the research and put these different aspects of someone's health journey into a fuller picture. And so I got out into practice and I was just doing complex care, but I was seeing a lot of kids because the practice I was with, there was no one else who was seeing kids. And so, you know, it was really just by happenstance that started seeing kids and I started seeing infertility. And um, those were kind of the areas that were um, no man's land. Like no one wanted to take them on because it was not something that we were super well trained in in school. So it was it was still left upon the provider to do a lot of their own research. And so those are the areas where I started to focus on. I started getting really tough infertility cases. I started really getting really chronic chronically ill and complex illness in children. So I started treating autism, started treating autoimmunity, and that became my specialty. So now I do those two areas. I treat moms and kids, but I have a particular focus on the preconception and the postpartum time period for mothers. And then I focus particularly on these complex illnesses in children. So autism, pans and pandas, autoimmunity, eczema, things that kind of fall outside of that that typical box of what your pediatrician is really great at treating. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's, it's so um, hopeful to, to talk to practitioners who are wanting to be um, medical detectives for, for kiddos and parents, right? Like it gives us hope that, you know, there's someone who's out there wanting to go beyond just, you know, the, the basic, line of duty and and go and look into things. Um, And I think a lot of our our kiddos, but also a lot of the moms now need that kind of care, right? Because of, like you said, a lot of complex issues, it needs a lot more insight and and kind of putting all of those pieces together. So yeah, like I I think I wanted to dive right into preconception care Mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, start off with why is that important? Yeah, so great question. So yeah, I, you know, beyond fertility, I, I really advocate that every woman, every couple should be focusing on the preconception time period and should be optimizing their health before we even get pregnant. Because our children, we see, we are seeing this just exponential rise in chronic childhood disease. And it comes back to what's within our environment. So 50 years ago, we really didn't have to focus so much on preconception care because there weren't so many factors within our environment that were so potentially harmful to our health and harming our children's health. And a child's health journey begins before they're even conceived. That sperm, that egg, those genes within the sperm and the egg are really the starting point. And so that's where I like to start with my patients. You know, I'm a huge, I love treating, I love diving into the cases, but really at the heart of it, naturopathic medicine is preventative medicine. And the best prevention is when we can start before the child is even born, we can optimize not only the egg and the sperm, and everything, you know, leading up to pregnancy, but also like when we are optimizing mom's health and dad's health, what comes as a byproduct is that we're optimizing the environment. So as we optimize the environment for mom and dad, baby is born in an optimal environment. So we've already eliminated the majority of the toxins. We've already gotten mom and dad on a pattern of healthy eating and nutritional eating. So we've, we've changed their lens so that when baby is born, they're born into this environment that, you know, is just made to thrive. 
So, um, you know, my kind of just interest in the preconception realm came from when I was sitting in a conference. I had just recently given birth and I was listening to a seminar on autism and how there was such a strong maternal influence on autism. And essentially what mom was going through in pregnancy really was the, you know, the fingerprint on that child's, their beginning of their health journey factors that I was listening to and almost in tears because I did not give that up. You know, I did not optimize my health prior to giving birth to my daughter. Now, my pregnancy, my first pregnancy was a surprise. So I did not plan on that pregnancy. And I know that many other moms out there are in that same situation. So if that's you, please erase that guilt and that shame that comes along with that. Because there are times that, you know, we can't, we cannot go back. All we can do is move forward. So there's wherever you are on this journey, maybe your child's eight, or maybe are, you know, not even conceived, there's still stuff to do. But I knew that, you know, going forward, I didn't want moms to be in my position. So if I could prevent a mom from having to go through there and then realizing, oh, there was stuff I should have done in the past, then I wanted to be there. And I also wanted to do that for my next child. So I wanted to be in a position where I could optimize my health before my next pregnancy. So essentially I realized, you know, this not only is pregnancy so important, but unfortunately when we are pregnant, we, we can only do so much for our health. We can remove exposures. We can optimize our diet, optimize our nutrition, but we can't be detoxing. And so, and we cannot be doing heavy, you know, ch changes within our gut microbiome in the same way that we can prior to conception. So my goal was to let's reach moms three months, six months, a year prior to conception and really optimize their health. And it's not only because it will optimize the health of the baby, but it's also gonna make for an easier pregnancy, an easier postpartum journey. And just so mom can be healthy because during pregnancy and during lactation, there, there are restrictions. There are just fewer things that we're able to really implement. And so I don't want a mom in the beginning of her pregnancy feeling ill, feeling not her best because there isn't as much that we can do just because the baby then comes priority. So that's how I started looking into it. And um, I also have had the amazing opportunity to work with a company to design a prenatal. So along that journey, I've learned a lot about prenatal nutrition. I thought that I knew about prenatal nutrition, but there is so much more to learn. There's still, I'm still learning, but really able to understand the aspects of what goes into making a healthy mom and nutrition is a big piece of that. Yeah, no, that's something I definitely want to get into, but I just kind of want to take a step back and, and you mentioned about how parents but you know more importantly moms how can you know that they start preparing themselves three months six months or a year out what do you actually recommend like what what is a good time frame to start thinking about um getting yeah. them ready <clears throat> wonderful question so i would say at very minimum three to four months and so what happens is that in the moms, women were born with a set number of eggs. So men are a little different in that they regenerate sperm, they create new sperm every three months. So their kind of golden window to um, change their sperm quality and quantity is a three month time frame. Now, before that is better, because you want to have essentially like if we are detoxing, we want all the heavy metals out before we are now making creating new sperm. But 
three months is like the very, very minimum for men. Women, we're already born with a set number of eggs. So there's a little bit, um, it's not as clear of a science. There's a couple things that go into this. So first off, as we age, we are exposed to just more factors, more things within our environment that are potentially damaging to our eggs. And this is why as we age, our fertility declines. And it's just because there's a cumulative effect. And so, you know, our 40 year old self has more toxic exposure than our 30 year old self. So there is truth to that. There's a timeline and we want to be mindful of that, but it's not as linear as that. So it's not that, you know, at 38, our eggs are better than 40. That doesn't have to be the case if we are reducing our exposures and we are supporting our body with antioxidants and things to protect the eggs. And the reason being is because the eggs are in a very immature state until about four months prior to conception, then they start to mature. Now the most critical time period of that egg's health is during that maturing phase. So that four months leading up to conception is when we have the biggest impact on our egg quality. So again, if we have a minimum time period, then three to four months, if we have in, I will say that that's for egg quality. Now, if you're just trying to, you know, say you really want to get pregnant next month and what can I do now? Detox and eliminate those toxin exposures. So even if you're a month out and you want to get pregnant next month, maybe your egg quality is okay, but you want to make sure that during pregnancy, baby's not being exposed to any toxins or anything within the environment that could potentially harm their health, then even a month you can do stuff with. But I like with my clients, three months minimum. And then I don't think it's too early to start one year out. And that one year out looks very different, but it's just taking an inventory of our health. So where in our health do we want to improve because again that is your golden window that is the last time that you can solely focus on yourself for a bit of time so you know after my daughter was born we I was working on my health for a long time because I had a lot of stuff to change over and I knew that you know it was going to take some time <laughs> and and it was going to it was going to be a process and so I started detoxing you know as when I could, as soon as I could, but it was, it was a, it was a journey. So minimum, I would say three months if possible. If you're a month out, there's still stuff you can do. And then if you're in the stage where, you know, you want kids in the future, it's never too early to prep. And it's just going to, you know, further enhance the quality of your eggs and, you know, the health of your body for pregnancy, for postpartum and just in general. Yeah. You know, that's amazing. Um, especially, you know, when you say that when you want to start off early so you know even if it's a year out or even longer you know it allows you to really bring in a lot of those behavior changes that you want to take into your your children's life right reduce the amount of plastic that you might have or other environmental factors that play such a big role right we're seeing that there's a lot of um toxins in the cord blood now right that's that's a new research that's coming out and it's so scary to -hmm. see that this baby who's so small has so many chemicals, right? Mm-hmm. That is they're like they're swimming in that. And yeah. so, you know, the, the longer you have, you're able to kind of put in a lot of those things in place. But yeah. you know, you you talked about for those who like who want to have a baby a month out, that they should start looking into into detoxifying, right? What would that look yeah. like? Yeah. So the biggest thing is that your first trimester is the most 
kind of quintessential time period in a baby's development. So that is the time period that we want to be very mindful of our toxic exposure. So if we were to do just one thing, it's that we are aware of our environment. So the great thing about the body is that God designed it in this beautiful way that it detoxes and it's usually pretty effective. As long as we don't have a huge toxic burden or you know we don't have a ton of genetic issues, the body can eliminate toxins on its own. It will naturally detoxify. What we have to be mindful of is first is what our body is exposed to. So the first thing I do is just kind of taking an inventory of the toxins in our environment. This can be quite a huge inventory. So actually, I'm working with Needed to create a program to help under people understand the toxins in their environment. But there are lots of different ways that we can do this outside of this. So um, there's lots of great books out there as well that help us understand. But essentially, like you mentioned, plastics, huge endocrine disruptor. So we're trying to minimize plastics, switch things over to glass, ceramic, stainless steel, looking at our cookware, making sure we're not cooking on nonstick or, you know, Teflon pans, aluminum that we're changing over to stainless steel and um, cast iron, looking at our personal care products is huge, making sure that we are switching over to clean beauty when we're able to, uh, eliminating fragrances because that contains a lot of toxic chemicals in there. So that includes fragrances like perfumes and fragrant candles, fragrant sprays, fragrant laundry detergent. Um, there are things such as looking at what we're eating. So actually our consumption is one of the major sources of toxins. So limiting um, processed foods. So what is what we consume, whether that be something from, you know, fast food or other packaged foods, it's not just that, you know, what's within the food itself, but it's that those things have been on plastic going through plastic tubes and on plastic uh, machinery that's cleaned with high water, like hot water that then is leaching into the foods. So food is a huge factor. Water is a huge factor where, where our water is coming from. So there's lots of different things that we can do to just understand what is within our environment, what could be potentially harmful to the baby. Now let's get that out. And this is, can be very overwhelming for an individual just right at first glance, because I remember where I was, let's just say five years ago and, or six years ago, there's been my life looked completely different. If you walked into my house, things looked completely different. What I put on my face, what I ingested, everything looked completely different. And it did not happen overnight. It just doesn't. And that's why the earlier you can start, the better, because it's not so overwhelming. You can change things over time. Um, but where I say is start first with what's the easiest and what's going to make that biggest impact. So for a lot of people, that's food. Um, you know, can you eat consume organic? Can you consume more of a whole foods diet? Because that's not only going to help from a toxin standpoint, but also from a nutritional standpoint. So really, you know, personal care products is huge as well as women we've used. Um, I think I forget the exact statistics, but it's at least like 13 personal care products each day. I know I personally probably use more to be honest. And so it's a huge difference if we're slathering toxic products on versus non-toxic products. And so those are the areas where I start. And then as we can, you know, move to some of those more expensive purchases or the, you know, the, the bigger, the bigger asks. Um, but that's first in detox. Now, second part of that, um, there's very basic aspects of detox and then more complex. 
if we could kind of take one nutrient, one of my favorite nutrients, most effective nutrients is something called glutathione. It is the body's chief antioxidants. So it's going to help with the egg quality, but it's also involved in so many processes within the detox system. So various aspects of detoxification. So if I just had to pick one, one supplement for people to potentially add to their you know, supplement regimen, it would be glutathione. And that can be phenomenal in helping the body prep. Yeah, that's one of my favorite too. I keep telling everybody around me to just get started on that and, and just yeah. the benefits that, that they have um, with that. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that a lot of focus is on, on parents to eat better, right? And you, you talked mm -hmm. about um, eating like a whole foods-based diet, try to find something that's more organic. What kind of diet in, you know, if you, if we didn't like break this down of what kind yes. of food should mom or even dad focus on, like, you know, what is, great. what food groups are good for them? Yeah, this is great. So, um, you know, this is something that I will say that just diet and even detox is very individual. So when you can work with a provider, however, just in general, what I recommend is number one, we want to focus on as much color in our diet as possible. So and variety and for multiple reasons, this is not only good from a nutrient standpoint, but actually our microbiome too. So all the little bugs within our gut, they prefer different foods. So if we want diversity, which is the key factor with a healthy gut, you want lots of different types of bugs, we have to eat lots of different types of foods to make those bugs grow. So when it comes to color, color is there because it provides a different nutrients. So if we, you know, purple foods provide different things than white foods, they provide different things than orange foods. So if we want to enhance our nutrient spectrum, we want to eat different colors. And the other aspect of this is that the colored foods contain things called antioxidants. So antioxidants prevent against oxidative damage or oxidative stress, which is the things within our environment that then would cause issues or concerns with the DNA within the egg or the DNA within the sperm. So consuming lots of antioxidants. And this is not just, you know, and what I recommend, which is difficult, is that we're looking for six to nine servings of fruits and vegetables each day. So essentially two to three servings with each meal, which is takes a concerted effort. Okay, so a lot of people do not eat this, don't even get close. And I acknowledge that. And that's where you can be a little bit more mindful, you know, pack your smoothie full of things like frozen cauliflower or greens, wild blueberries, stuff like that. Um, ensure that you are taking a green drink or a red drink if you need that additional support or taking an additional antioxidant supplement if you cannot get there. But antioxidants are huge. So that's number one. Number two is that where I find people are, um, if they are eating healthy, but they are um, where they might be missing out is that they're not consuming enough healthy fats. And our, you know, some of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see are in the fat soluble nutrients. So essentially, these nutrients like A, vitamin A, D, E and K can only be found if there's enough fat in your diet. If there's not, then you're going to be deficient in those. So in choline, that's another huge one for for baby's brain development. So I really advocate for good quality fats. Now, if you are a animal consumer, then you want to make sure first you are doing high quality animal protein. So something that is grazing on green grass, um, like a 
cow or a lamb that's grazing on green grass or better yet, um, something you find out in the wild. If you have someone who's a hunter, great, because then you are getting something that is not fed some form of grain. If you can find organic poultry, then do that. If you can find pasture-raised eggs, then that's the way to go. And that's because those animals are really what they eat. If they're eating a lot of inflammatory foods, then their fats and their protein is also going to be inflammatory in nature. If they're eating on the land, then their fats are going to be anti-inflammatory in nature. So I love fats from animals, but only if they are good quality meat, good quality proteins. So that's a big factor. If you're an animal eater, then I advocate for higher fat. I don't want to eat lean chicken. I want that chicken with the skin on it because that's where you're going to get those fat soluble nutrients. I want wild caught fatty salmon. Um, so those are two big, big areas um, that I really focus on. Other things are, you know, we could get nuanced like iodine. If we're not eating iodized salt, which a lot of people who are health conscious are not eating iodized salt. I have a lot of patients who are iodine deficient. So they need to then be consuming things like uh, seaweed or seafood on a regular basis or individuals who are dairy free because of various digestive issues. They need to make sure that they are consuming some form of calcium. And just as a little personal note, that was one of my main deficiencies in pregnancy. I had not eaten dairy for years. And I was so calcium depleted that it and mineral depleted in general, that it really impacted my daughter's health, her dental, um, dental health from just having poor mineralization when her teeth were forming. So, you know, there's these, these transgenerational effects If we are nutrient depleted, we see our children nutrient depleted, and something like iodine, so important. It is such an important nutrient for baby's brain. It does not matter how much iodine you supplement with when they're born, it does not change their IQ. So it is so essential that moms are getting enough of that within their diet or are on a supplemental prenatal, which is where I, you know, have been involved in developing our prenatals is the other side of this that we have just not been, there's not a, it, it, one pill is not enough. Two pills is likely not enough. It, a lot of OBGYNs, and this is not to their discredit, but they're not super well informed. They don't receive adequate nutrition training. And they're very concerned about folic acid, but nothing else. And it is not just getting on any prenatal. Prenatals can make a huge impact um, depending on what you're on. And so in first trimester of pregnancy, we might want to eat this optimal diet. The reality is that many of us cannot eat the diet that we intended on. And so that's where something, some insurance policy with your supplement can be really helpful. Yeah, you know, it, it's amazing. Because um, right before coming on, I told you of when I got pregnant, you know, I was only given iron, <laughs> right? And I was told that folic acid could be good if I wanted to oh. never, never ever told about like, you know, the merits of, of methylfolate or, mm. you know, the importance of choline, like you just said, I mean, and like a whole host of other things, you know, a few years after I had my son, I went and I got like a whole blood work done and I was deficient in so many things, yeah. which just like blows my mind. Like, what did I transfer on to him? Cause I breastfed him for a year as well. Right. Well, so it, yeah. 
I mean, yeah. just to speak to that, that's huge. So what I see so often, and I will say I was in a similar position, you know, we have a baby, you're overwhelmed. But then so many moms are stopping their, their prenatal while after postpartum after they have the baby, but actually our nutrient demands increase during lactation, they're higher than they are during pregnancy. And the milk that we produce is what we call a conditionally perfect food, it is only as nutrient dense as what mom's body is. And so it is so crucial that we are then also consuming some form of, you know, either adequate diet or supplemental prenatal to really enhance our the nutritional quality of our milk. But I hear that so commonly, and I was in your shoes, even as much as I know, I didn't, that wasn't my area of, you know, research and specialty at that time period. So I was a little bit in the dark. And so I can Definitely. I was just like you. I was just like so many other moms out there. And this is why I'm so happy we're doing this interview and really getting this information out because unfortunately it's not as widespread as it needs to be. Yeah. And you know, it kind of also speaks to the quality of a lot of the, the, the prenatal vitamins that are out there. Right. And that's why I am such a big fan of all the stuff that you put on your Instagram. There's so much information there for like moms to see what kind of um, supplements to use and just kind of breaking it down, like by, by, by nutrients, right. To see what, yeah. what we need, what should be more of, um, what are some good numbers that we should be looking at when we're looking at various, um, you know, prenatal vitamins? Yeah. So, I mean, this is a hard one because there's so many in there. And so it kind of just depends on like what's within your diet. So where's your diet lacking? So for me, like I mentioned, calcium was really important, but a mom who's eating dairy, calcium probably is not that important. Um, so same thing with like B12 for someone like me, I eat good, like good quality animal protein on a daily basis, multiple times a day, then B12 is not that important. But for a vegetarian or a vegan, we really need high doses of B12 in order to get to adequate levels. But some things that we can all agree on are folate. So folate, it's a very important nutrient. We know it's helpful for forming baby's neural tube. And actually, this is one of the nutrients along with choline that needs to be initiated prior to conception to really have its impact because the neural tube is starting to develop right at the very beginning. So if we're not on it, if we're not at sufficient levels, then we can have issues there. So choline and folate are really important there. Now, when we first started recognizing the importance of folate, we used to recommend folic acid. And so if you read a lot of literature about what's recommended in pregnancy, almost all of it says folic acid. And so when people see folate or methylfolate, they don't really know how to convert this. So folic acid is the synthetic, synthetic form of folate. And um, the body, it's not in the form that the body can readily use. So the body then has to methylate it, which is an action that some people have difficulty with, especially if any of you out there know you have issues or a SNP on the MTHFR gene, then you're really going to want to have the methylfolate version of this because those that have issues with methylating, A, are not going to get their full dose of folate that they need for baby's brain. And, you know, the goal is, I mean, a minimum of 600, but I usually like to see 800 or above. If there's issues with anxiety, depression, then I don't want to go too high. So I don't like going above like 1300. It really just depends. Folate can be, can reduce serotonin activity. So if you know, if you've been someone who's been on SSRIs in the past, like Zoloft or Lexapro, then you may want to go a little bit lower on folate just to be careful there, but at least 800 micrograms of folate. Um, 
but as in regards to the folate, um, you know, we want to have it in a form that the body can use. So if we can't methylate, then folic acid, we're not going to be able to utilize it. But then the other side of this is that there's some research that is now pointing to the fact that folic acid, not only can we not use it, but it could actually be toxic. And there's a kind of a u-shaped curve here where too much folic folate in someone's blood which we believe to be due to too much folic acid consumption can lead to an increased incidence of autism and so i highly prefer methylfolate because it's in a usable form and then using what we can but not overdoing it either and so um you know in the needed prenatal which is the prenatal that i developed we went back and forth on this quite a bit and the reason being is that most physician prenatals contain quite a high amount, 1,300, 1,700 micrograms of folate. But we know that, you know, too much is not always the best. There's a good amount. And so we're um, right between 900 and 1,000 micrograms, which I think is a really good healthy dose for the majority of moms. There are lots of other prenatals out there. But again, like if you're looking for the prenatal that I'm going to speak most to, it's going to be um, a prenatal by needed. and they distribute within the US um, and Canada now too. So folate is really important. Choline is another important nutrient that is kind of the, uh, a new nutrient for many supplement companies, ones that, one that is often forgotten, but also equally as important for neural tube development and brain development in, in utero and actually in, in early childhood as well. So choline comes, it's very rich in eggs and it's rich in some fatty like I said, some of those fatty meats, but most individuals are not consuming enough. So the RDA, which is the essentially what is the bare minimum that we need is 500 milligrams. And none of us or not none of us, very few of us are reaching that unless we're eating on eggs on a very consistent basis. So for many me, I don't eat. Yeah, go ahead. And many of them, not even like a few. Oh, yeah, very many of them, like six eggs <laughs> on like a daily basis. So I don't eat consume eggs. I have a little bit of a sensitivity to them. Definitely was not reaching this when I was pregnant. Now, um, many supplement companies, they may know about choline, but they can't put it in their product because it's a bulky nutrient. So it takes up a lot of space. So this is part of the reason why I needed, we put our prenatal in a powder. We've now also created a capsule, but it's a very bulky nutrient. So you have to be mindful of it. Like the choline in ours alone, if we kind of converted it exactly to capsules, it would have taken up like five capsules. It's just bulky. So this is why it's not included, but you can take an additional choline supplement. So phosphatidylcholine, choline um, bitrate, there's a couple of different forms, but really any choline, if you're not consuming eggs on a daily basis, you could take additional choline. So those are two nutrients that I think that are very important for pregnancy brain development. And like I also mentioned earlier, iodine is one that I really commonly look for. And at least 225 micrograms of iodine, I mean, 150, I'll say minimum, bare minimum, but the RDA is higher. And I just find that so many people who are health conscious are not meeting those recommendations because they're not eating processed foods, they're not eating table salt. And so how do we ensure we're getting them enough iodine? unless they're eating loads of seaweed or seafood, which we have to be mindful of in pregnancy, then we want to make sure we're consuming the iodine via a supplement. Yeah. And you know, another thing I think I learned, um, and it was off of your pages, um, was the importance of DHA, right? And oh, so yeah. mm -hmm. it's part of your supplement. Um, 
you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So DHA is an omega-3 and it's kind of the omega-3 that's most important for brain development. And so DHA really accumulates in the baby's brain through two years of age. So that's the time period that's most important. And there are just so many numerous studies showing that, um, you know, emotional, behavioral, cognitive development of baby is so intertwined with DHA levels, but also mom's health. So postpartum, how's mom feeling? How is her mental health? DHA is hugely, hugely important. So DHA, I could go into every single nutrient. I'm so passionate yeah. about like each of them, but um, DHA is another great one from a brain development um, vitamin A is one. It's like the one that we're most worried about because too high of yeah. vitamin A can lead to issues with birth defects. So we don't want to go too high, but we actually very much, um, when we set that limit, we set it at 10,000 IU or, um, 3000 micrograms. That's a very conservative limit. So most research does not show any issues with exceeding that going up to even 30,000 or 50,000 IU. But again, we want to be mindful of that. But if you're looking at vitamin A levels and following the research, the majority of moms are becoming deficient by third trimester. Again, it's so important for baby's immune system development, gut development, um, and their eye retinal development. And so actually what's interesting is that many moms in their third trimester are starting to become, because it's important for mom's visual health as well, they'll become, uh, have issues with night vision. That's one of the first signs or have very dry skin or develop some issues with keratosis pilaris, which is the bumps on the back of the arms. So uh, vitamin A is crucially important. We know that. And that's actually why once mom has baby in a lot of um, underdeveloped or developing countries, they will go out and give mom mass doses of vitamin A and baby mass doses of vitamin A because we know it's so important for the immune system. It can help prevent against certain, you know, serious illnesses from viral infections. And um, just so many of us are deficient in it. Yeah. You know, how far ahead of time should mom start a lot of these supplementation? Prenatal. I would say like, there's no time that's too early. I remember sitting on the beach one time, and I was overhearing a conversation about a mom who was kind of it, almost like making light of or making fun of another mom who was starting her prenatal three months ahead of like when she wanted to try to conceive. And it was really disheartening to me because there's such a huge, you know, misinformation out there. And we don't become nutrient replete overnight. It's not like you start taking a prenatal one day, and now your nutrient stores are up, it does take time. And so, um, you know, prenatal supplements, I think, again, I wish we could get it all from our food. Realistically, our new like the nutrient quality of our food has just drastically declined over the years because the soil is so nutrient depleted. We have GMO crops that are bred to be more nutrient depleted in order to prevent, um, you know, their their to create resistance to certain antibiotics or pesticides. And so we have a more nutrient depleted food supply, way more nutrient depleted than it was 50, 60 years ago. So we do need to be intentional about ensuring we're getting adequate nutrition in other realms. And I think that this is where I came with a nutrition degree and my university that I went to was very anti-supplement. So it was kind of this, like, if you can't get it in your diet, your diet isn't good enough. This very negative culture around supplementation. And it took me a while to break out of that because I thought like I'm eating plenty, you know, of good foods, but I was so nutrient depleted. And part of that was because the food supply, part of it was also because my gut was in horrendous shape. 
And our, our absorption of these nutrients are only as good as we're absorbing them. So if there are gut issues, it's going to be much more, um, you have to be much more intentional to overcome that in order to ensure you're getting proper nutrient levels yeah, and, and it's, absorption. It's, yeah. And it's interesting you talk about gut health, right? Because that is something that will, you know, just go on to a child. Like, so they say in like the last trimester, the mom is giving a lot of her antibodies, um, you know, to food, um, to babies. And that's why we're having a lot of kids with, with allergies now showing up. So if mom has allergies, the kid will more likely have them. Um, and, and that's coming up. And it's just, it talks to that whole gut health, right? Like if mom has mm -hmm. leaky gut, or if mom has various gut issues, it will most likely follow the baby. Yeah, absolutely. So again, it's like vaginal births are great. Breastfeeding is amazing. I'm a huge advocate of both. However, if mom's gut health or her, her microbiome health is not in, in the best place, she's also going to pass that on to baby. And so this is not to say that if your microbiome is terrible, do not give a, have a vaginal birth or do not breastfeed. But it's more speaking to, because still then it's still optimal or preferred to having a C-section if you can control, if you have the option or, you know, formula. Again, if you have the option, some moms don't. But um, really it just speaks to optimizing your microbiome. And this is something that can continue throughout pregnancy. But there are, you know, our, when baby passes through the vaginal canal, they are inoculated with mom's microbiome. That is something that's super beneficial for baby. But again, it's not selective. So they don't just, they get whatever's in that vaginal microbiome. So if mom's prone to things like bacterial vaginosis or yeast infections, then baby can inherit some of those species as well and potentially be more prone to yeast infections and, and other sorts of bacterial dysbiosis. So we really want to optimize that microbiome in there. And that really is reflective of what our gut microbiome is too. So anything we can do to optimize the gut microbiome will then optimize the other microbiomes, the other, you know, within the vaginal canal, within skin, et cetera. So that's number one. And then again, number two is that our milk has a microbiome. We pass on bacteria through our milk. So likewise, if we're going to do breastfeeding, we want to make sure that we are passing on as many of those good bugs as possible. And so and not only for baby, but other things. So very commonly, you know, gestational diabetes has been linked, linked to the microbiome. Preeclampsia has been linked to the microbiome. Um, there are different liver disorders that have been linked to the microbiome. Group B strep, which is something that all moms, if possible, I know want to avoid. They want to avoid having to do antibiotics during birth if possible. So obviously that is a bug. It's a very common bug, but there are research. To, there is research to show that we can prevent its occurrence. There are things that we can do to um, ensure or not ensure, but decrease the risk of that bug being there. So there's just so much we can, you know, research that really supports this idea of optimizing mom's microbiome prior to birth. And even in utero, we used to think that, um, you know, inside the amniotic sac that was, was sterile that we didn't think anything was in there that was bugs. And now we know that baby is actually beginning its microbiome formation, being inoculated with whatever mom starts with. So as much as like, yes, we want to ensure that mom's microbiome is in good health by the end of pregnancy, really, if we can, we want to do what we can even prior to pregnancy so that when baby's first inoculation occurs, which is in utero, they're already being kind of exposed to these healthy species of bugs. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think lastly, I wanted, we did talk a little bit about, you know, the dads and then the sperm mm -hmm. quality. 
but just what can fathers do, right? We've, we've put a lot of attention to moms, but they play a very important role as well in this whole equation. So what can they do? Yes, absolutely. So anything when we're talking about fertility, um, when we're talking about preventing chromosomal errors, um, fathers play a huge, huge role. So it's 50 50 on that regard. And um, men, when it comes to infertility, more and more often now, it's actually male factor infertility. So it's due to problems with male sperm. And there's an amazing book out there that was just put out called The Countdown. Have you heard of it or read it? Yeah, no, I haven't okay. read it, but I've heard of it. Okay. It's amazing. And it is essentially one of the, the PhD researchers, she kind of goes through, she's been studying reproductive health for a long time and its relationship to environmental toxicities. So that is kind of where I start. The biggest thing that's going to impact dad's sperm are environmental toxins. Again, those sperm are so fragile. They are essentially, um, yeah, they're just very fragile. And so anything that they are potentially exposed to could damage them. The biggest thing is endocrine disruptors in found in plastics. So things like BPA and phthalates are hugely disruptive to the sperm, heavy metals as well. And then nutrients. If we're going to focus on nutrients, we're going to focus on things like um, anything that supports the mitochondria. So CoQ10, carnitine, things that really, because sperm are essentially like a big clump of mitochondria with a tail on them. And so anything that supports the mitochondria are going to support sperm health. Um, And so essentially, you know, what I tell, because it's a harder thing to get dads oftentimes to buy in. And I don't mean to be stereotypical, but that's just what I see in my practice is that women are very um, come in kind of knowing they want to conceive and they actually carry a lot of the burden of the fertility on them. And that's just unfortunate because again, it is two sides of this equation. And so the good thing about this is that when we're talking to our partner, we don't have to get their engagement for very long. So if we kind of have an understanding, you know, a minimum of three months, ideally, but they can be taking many of the same nutrients that mom is actually a lot of the prenatals are great for men's sperm health as well. Um, but additional things like the CoQ10, PQQ, L-carnitine, things like ashwagandha, zinc is really important for male sperm health. And those things can kind of help optimize the sperm, but also more importantly is eliminating those exposures. So men just tend to be more difficult to get them to like change over their products. They get like, this is the deodorant I want to use. This is the hair gel I want to use. (laughs) This is whatever. And that's hard. I remember like my husband, he used to come home all the time with like a plastic water bottle. And it was just so disheartening to me to like see him drinking out of this plastic water bottle. He's just like, something tastes so good about drinking out of a plastic water bottle. And so like, I just would put the book, I would listen to this book on in like audio book. So he could like listen to it while I'm cooking dinner. Very soon after that, he bought his own like clean canteen. Like, <laughs> you know, he was like, okay, I'm done with plastic. I don't want any of that. Um, So there are, you know, just eliminating their exposures. Um, Exercise is hugely helpful for sperm, but the only exercise that's not going to be helpful is bike riding. So because essentially sperm are sensitive to heat. So things like the hot tub, the sauna, or anything where the, the testes are kind of like receding up into the body, the body's hot, that can lead to more damage to the sperm. Even like sitting all day long, there's some good research out there that men who like sit all day playing video games or watching TV have impacts on their sperm. So um, 
again, it's just getting your husband, getting your partner involved in like eating a healthy diet, maybe on some baseline supplementation, and then, you know, cutting alcohol or reducing alcohol for a couple months, um, getting them to exercise regularly, those things can go really far away. And if there are fertility concerns, do not forget to check your husband. Because so often I see women go through these really lengthy involved, ever look at the husband, and at the end of the day, that is where if they would have just started there, the wonderful, beautiful thing about sperm health being off is that it can so quickly turn around if we just kind of understand what is what is the underlying factor there. Yeah, and, and the best thing about, you know, all the things that you're talking about is the, the greatest outcome of all of that is how much better mom and dad are feeling, right? Like yeah. you're basically addressing everything for their own health. They feel so much more energetic and, you know, just so much more vitality in their their day-to-day life. So, I mean, that's like, if that's the motivation for them, then let that be that, you know, you're going to feel so much better and and you're going to, you know, you can have so much more energy through your day. But yeah, Ari, this has been amazing. I think there's been so much information for for parents to listen and to learn and and to implement, right? I feel like in in this region especially, we do have gaps in in information. So I'm so grateful that you know you took your time to come and just kind of go through all of that so that parents in this region know what they're looking for and what they can do as well. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on and just giving me the opportunity to speak on this. And I'm so happy you're doing this podcast. I'm really excited to for what's to come and all the information that you put out as well. Yeah, I've got my fingers crossed that we can get your prenatal vitamins internationally. Oh, yeah, I know. We're we're hoping to I think definitely one day they'll be there. Yes, yes. No fingers crossed. Well, thank you so much. Okay, take care. It's great talking to you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends, and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcast. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find this show more easily. Visit momentasaleemcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes. And sign up to receive weekly updates. Helping Children Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next week.